I think it's really critical that every educator understand the systemic nature of assessment. And across all these different layers, that it must be aligned or it isn't going to make sense. Or you won't be able to change the narrative because there'll be all these disparate views. There has to be that confluence of effort. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might new approaches to assessment create more equitable opportunities for multilingual learners? In what ways could local and professional accountability help motivate teachers to encourage students' home language use? Why is it so important that relationships and a deeper understanding of our students be at the center of how we design and analyze assessments? We discuss these questions and much more in part one of our two-part series with Dr. Margot Gottlieb, co-founder and lead developer for WIDA at the Wisconsin Center for Education Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Margot Gottlieb started her career as an elementary school teacher and bilingual coordinator and she also served as the longstanding director of assessment and evaluation at the Illinois Resource Center. In addition, she has been a Fulbright senior specialist in Santiago, Chile, and has keynoted, presented, and consulted in over 21 countries and almost every state in the U.S. In recent years, Margot's scholarship has focused on designing language development standards frameworks, co-constructing linguistically and culturally sustainable curriculum, promoting student agency through assessments as, for, and of learning, which we'll discuss today, and evaluating language education policy in K-12 settings. Over the course of her career, Dr. Gottlieb has published more than 90 articles, monographs, handbooks and guides, encyclopedia entries, and chapters, as well as authored, co-authored, or co-edited over 30 books on language standards, academic language use, and classroom assessment. As everyone, the worldwide pandemic forced her to pivot. As a result, she has actively participated in podcasts, webinars, blogs, and has even learned how to tweet. Besides co-authoring Beyond Crises with Debbie Zakarian and Margarita Calderon, Margot's most recent books include Assessment in Multiple Languages, a Handbook for School and District Leaders, and its companion, Classroom Assessment in Multiple Languages, a Handbook for Teachers, both published by Corwin in 2021. Throughout her educational career, Margot has been a staunch advocate and warrior for multilingual learners. You are welcome to contact her at margogottlieb at gmail.com or tweet her at at margogottlieb. As always, thanks for listening and take care of each other. Here's part one of our two-part conversation with Dr. Margot Gottlieb. Margot Gottlieb, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. And I sure appreciate being invited to today's presentation. Um, Steve, you've been wonderful in providing me with some fodder to think about. Um, That will be the basis for our conversation today. Thank you. And I appreciate your patience because it did take me a long time to get that to you. But the timing, I think, has worked out well as we begin uh, a new school year here. And uh, we start to think about the topic that we're going to talk about today. We'll cover a lot of things, but we'll really kind of be honing in on the idea um, or the topic of assessment. So let's get started. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in um, with a topic that sort of seems to be on anybody's mind when they think about assessment, and that's accountability. Maybe it's not the most exciting and fun topic to talk about, but I think it's important. Um, it, I, I think it, it comes to mind when people are particularly thinking about multilingual learners and how to assess them. Um, when high stakes 
assessments are offered particularly only in English, um, and schools and districts are, are accountable for student performance, including the performance of their multilingual learners, what is the motivation for teachers to encourage their students to use their home languages? And this is like, a, this is a devil's advocate question, but like, I want to start here. How do we go about changing that narrative? And that's a big question to start, but I, and so take your time, but I want to make sure that we kind of establish that baseline first. I think it's critical that people understand that accountability not only rests at the federal level, but is also part of district schools, classrooms, and personal professional um, accountability. So I think I, what I'll do is to start off with what everyone is familiar with, and that is um, accountability being equated with federal compliance, and that that, re, that is part of testing requirements currently under this reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary School Act called ESSA. And what is very interesting is that what has happened over the years is that there's been some shifting in terms of looking at multilingual learners in a very pejorative way to being more assets-based. Um, right now, ESSA considers multilingual learners to be English learners. And we know that every English learner needs to be tested in academic achievement. I'd, I'm not gonna go through the requirements, um, but in math and English language arts for grades three, eight, once in high school, but also for English language proficiency grades K-12. So you ask me, where's the other languages? Well, there is a provision in ESSA, but it isn't applied. Um, and that encourages states to develop testing and languages other than English in states where there's a significant amount uh, or extent of other languages in those student populations. Um, this provision could change the narrative if states would be serious in being able to design standards reference measures in multiple languages that indeed could generate meaningful data. So that's what's happening at the federal level. Let's look now more locally um, because educators actually have more control over um, programmatic accountability, the effectiveness of a program. When we're talking about the goals for developmental bilingual programs or dual language immersion programs, um, first we are indeed thinking about students' development of biliteracy. So by definition, assessment must follow in two languages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with the growing numbers of students um, in these programs, you have to have multiple sources of data in multiple languages. Um, and both teachers and students themselves can do some convincing in the value of multiple language use and its role in assessment. So looking at, at just one more layer, um, it's almost like an onion that starts unpeeling. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. addressing three. <laughs> um, lastly, is what I consider to be professional accountability. That is what teachers and coaches and principals and what they can do to ensure that multilingual learners have the opportunities to express themselves in multiple languages and prove their effectiveness as learners. And if they are learning in multiple languages, they should be able 
to indeed show that learning in multiple languages. Student portfolios um, is a powerful assessment tool um, that can demonstrate the value of multilingualism, even though a teacher may not be multilingual. So when working with teachers and principals, I always encourage them to co-construct language and assessment principles, as well as policies with their multilingual learners um, to address the students' multiple language use. So together, local stakeholders can make a difference and be a force to change the narrative, as you would say. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sort of layering that because I think it's really important, you know, as, a, as somebody who was a classroom teacher for a long time, you know, the, the and I wasn't around when Vanessa, when I wasn't teaching Vanessa began, but like those policies that are somewhat sort of hidden in the text there that, that lots of folks know about, but if you're a classroom teacher, or at least I will speak for myself, I wasn't going through with a fine tooth comb exactly what Vanessa sure. said. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't understand a lot of what was going on there. There were people who were supposed to kind of take that out and show me what I needed to do. And in certain times they did and certain times they didn't, of course, with this uh, particular provision that you're talking about, you know, you said it could be something that we could use, but coupled with the other layers that you were talking about, now here's where we can make an impact. So for me as an individual teacher, knowing that I have the ability, for example, to use student portfolios or to conference with students and allow them to express what they're trying to do in their own languages and be able to do that, even though I don't necessarily speak that language, that is something that I can use. So I feel like you know, thank you for, for addressing that from all those different standpoints, because for everybody like me that's listening, there are probably people who it resonates more on that middle level or on that federal level. Um, and I think it's, it's rare that we, that we hear all those three different perspectives when we're ta talking about something as, um, as kind of, you know, heady as, as, as the idea of accountability. I think that's, a, would, that's a good oh, place I'm to sorry start. To interrupt you. No, please go ahead. What I was going to say, I think it's really critical that every educator understand the systemic nature of assessment. And across all these different layers, that it must be aligned or it isn't gonna make sense. Or you won't be able to change the narrative because there'll be all these disparate views. Yeah. There has to be that confluence of effort. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, it's, this gives the idea of, you know, silos and places where things are happening, you know, really great. And then other places where it's just not. And so you need that collaboration and that systemic um, nature of, uh, of setting this up. Um, so in preparation for this conversation, I, I spent some time, um, with your, with your new book and, uh, I loved going through it. I didn't, I won't say that I read it cover to cover, but I went through it and I picked out some pieces that I thought were really interesting, um, and important. And I think it's a great, um, reference and something that everybody that's working with students can definitely benefit from looking at. One thing that you refer to throughout the book, um, you refer to assessment as, as for, and of learning. And I think like at face value, this, this makes a lot of sense, but you kind of coming back to it over and over again, it, it really resonated with me. So I'd love if you could just give us a brief overview of what those different kinds of assessments are and particularly how they can benefit um, multilingual learners. And, and again, the idea of this, give people a taste so that they can kind of understand, you know, uh, some of the things that go back that, that kind of resurface in the book and, and learn from it. One thing you, everyone has to remember is that assessments always tied to a purpose. And one of the primary purposes of this triad of assessment approaches is hopefully to be able to shift attention away from outcomes 
and that is like assigning a number or a letter um, where results are expressed as a percentage or a quartile. What does that mean to the average edu educator, let alone families and students? This shift has to occur so we are centered on multilingual learners and their learning. So in order to do this, I think it's important to emphasize the interaction of multilingual learners with others to form relationships with their peers, with teachers, with other educators, even with family members. And so we can approach assessment in more equitable ways. So let me spend just a little time um, giving you a, um, a brief description of each of these approaches. For me, assessment as learning is student-driven. It enables our multilingual learners to broadcast their voice, their agency, and identity. So they are becoming empowered to be owners of their own learning. In assessment as learning, multilingual learners have these opportunities because assessment and instruction are inseparable. And so they can interact with their peers in one or more languages and feel safe. And then they can engage in self-reflection. Self-reflection, if they're thinking in one language, that's how they're gonna express themselves. Mm -hmm. In assessment for learning, the relationship that's highlighted is between students and teachers. Um, and that can include, for example, the co-construction of learning goals or I can statements. I'm putting it in the, the student's own words. Um, for me, that in essence is assessment for learning. And as part of that, feedback is critical. And it's something that's reciprocal between teachers and multilingual learners um, with the overall intent is to push teaching and learning forward, not to get a grade. And then finally, assessment of learning it's generally shaped by teachers and it's more equated with a project, a product, a performance at the end of a unit of learning. So basically it shows or represents what multilingual learners and other students have accomplished that, student, that, that students um, can show their learning um, that's geared to their growth over time that's tied to criteria of success that enables them to have some input in the process. So together assessment as form of learning form a very strong comprehensive balance system. Um, and through this system, we're able to optimize multilingual learners participation with teachers as facilitators and guides. So it's a whole new orientation mm. of uh, how you look at assessment through the lenses of multilingual learners and their relationships with others. Yeah, just just quickly as as you were speaking, you know, I was kind of like I was I was you're talking about as you know an sort uh, uh, sorry assessment um, with the as piece as uh, agency student agency. Um, you know, identifying with the learning. Um, you're talking about the four with co-construction. 
um, and and really collaborating with the teacher. Those two things sort of raised my eyebrows and I was excited about. I was also excited about of, but of seemed to me more kind of what I would consider kind of more traditional. So I'd follow up question here. It, I don't know if traditional is the right word, more, I guess, of what I did as a teacher um, and what I see in classrooms. It, first of all, do you think that that is the case? And second of all, um, if that is the case, is it fair to say that that as and for are sort of areas, and I guess I'm talking generally here, of growth opportunities for teachers, particularly if they're working with multilingual learners, or has that shifted? I mean, I haven't been in the classroom for six years, so it could be that that's different now. What's very interesting is that the terms for and of learning have been around for probably a decade or more. Um, I'd like to emphasize, as you just mentioned, the role of multilingual learners in being able to craft their own mm. um, assessment and to be able to point out what they can do over time. When I mentioned assessment of learning, that's, that's the um, liaison between what's happening every day in the classroom to building common assessment. And then you start infringing upon more going from the personalized or professional accountability to more school-wide accountability right. or grade right. level accountability, where you have a uniform um, set of criteria that could be in the form of a, a rubric, let's say, and everybody in fifth grade is using the same rubric. That doesn't mean the pathways can't differ and that multilingual learners can't access their other languages to help them get to the end point. The outcome is the same. The pathway is different. Um, and that's where adds learning because only the student um, themselves will be able to tell you that I know a lot about this topic. And I learned about it because I've already, you know, I've been investigating this. Um, over time. And I've been able to talk to my family members with it. And I've been doing this in a language other than English. And, and now that I'm becoming more acclimated to the English language, I'm going to do my best, but I'm also going to still rely on my other languages because that's going to bolster my achievement. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I you know, again, as you're speaking, like, especially when we're talking about the relationship between the student and the teacher as it relates to assessment um, with the as and the for piece. I think, you know, that's an opportunity to help sort of build those relationships that we need to build with students. And I think one of the sort of silver linings of this crazy last year and a half, the pandemic and school closures and everything has been the emphasis on relationship building and how important it is for student learning. We saw um, you know, lots of districts and just schools or teachers, individual teachers who had those plans in place to make sure that they had built solid relationships with students for years that did very well. And the ones that sort of did not have those plans in place or, or you know, sort of went right into the content struggled. So I guess the point that I'm getting to is um, you, you tie this to assessment relationship building. Talk with us about why it's so important to deeply understand our students as individuals before designing, deploying, and analyzing assessments and their results and how they're they're tied together. Because I think they're they're sometimes they're looked upon as two different things. There's a relationship building, then there's the assessment piece, but you're really tying them together. And it isn't that I'm and I, I want to interject and 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 at least tell folks because they're so there's thinking to themselves. So where does formative and summative assessment fit in? Yep. Well, in my world, it really doesn't. 
because I might say a formative purpose as in for learning kind of converge into um, formative assessment purposes. Yeah, yeah. But every assessment should be formative. It, it shouldn't just be relinquished to what happens in the classroom. Um, to me, that's a big, that's a big change in like, in the, in the vernacular, you know, that everybody's used to, right? I mean, that's, well, if you don't get feedback and students aren't aware of what they are doing, um, annually versus every day, they're not going to be able to set those incremental goals to get there. Yeah. And I think it's critical, as I've said before, that our multilingual learners are part of the conversation. So to me, the two, those two different purposes really um, meld, they blend together and it's yep. hard to distinguish one from the other. And I much prefer this paradigm um, where multilingual learners take center stage. It makes so, sense to me. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm throwing it out there because you, you mentioned like so many people, it's true. You're, they're thinking, where's formative and summative? And I kind mm -hmm. of avoided it because I didn't, but I'm glad you brought it up. And I, what you just said is you're right. What I've tended to do is to try to capitalize on the literature that's out there um, about relationship building and be inclusive of multilingual learners and their families. Because oftentimes, as you know, um, the inequities have been pervasive mm -hmm. in, in, in our particular field. And so I want to ensure um, that, that multilingual learners um, are codependent just as all other people and, and they're interconnected as all human beings. And I think the, the last year and a half, as you said, has brought us closer together. And we've seen the strengthening of community, school and family ties. So I'd like to leverage that right now and make sure that these um, connections stimulate learning and that with that our multilingual learners indeed have those opportunities to gain their independence, to be able to regulate their own learning um, and become assessment leaders in the process. But at the same time, <laughs> um, it's the teachers that have to become more sensitive and responsive to the life circumstances of our multilingual learners and their families. Mm -hmm. and, and take that and think about those considerations and have them spill over so that assessments are more inclusive multilingual learners and they become more linguistically and culturally sustainable over time. So let's think about it. Students' languages, their cultures, their experiences, their histories all, continue, all contribute to the identity formation. They don't leave that behind when it comes to curriculum instruction and assessment. So as educators, I think it's our responsibility to have a very deep understanding of the strengths that our students are bringing. And in that way, we'll be able to optimize their opportunities for learning and be able to, as you have said, to form meaningful relationships with each and every student. Yeah, well said. I I'm I'm going to tread lightly on this question that's kind of bubbling in my mind because I don't know how it's related to assessment. And part of me thinks maybe it's an unfair question to ask, but you're, you're sort of like getting to this idea of social emotional learning, right? I mean, that's part of understanding the, uh, the student and the relationship. So 
maybe it's unfair for me to ask, but I mean, is there a relationship here between what we're talking about and the social emotional development of students beyond, I guess, just kind of understanding who the student is and, and, and letting that um, knowledge, as you said, of culture, history, et cetera, um, play into the way that you assess students? As you just said, the, the, the multiple variables or features or characteristics that constitute all of us are going to impact every facet of our lives. And let's admit it, we know that mental health and social emotional development is critical to student development. But should you assess it? I don't believe that these constructs should be measured quantitatively, that is, mm -hmm. um, by teachers nor should we assign a score <laughs> and then interpret it and make judgment on these students based on a test that maybe was never even intended for the student population. It could do more harm than good. Um, and it's not very efficacious either. So I would rather see if in fact assessment is involved in social emotional development and well-being of our multilingual learners that teachers observe students very critically um, on an ongoing basis, um, because we know that's one of the most authentic, unobtrusive ways uh, of assessing students. And then what teachers can do is maintain detailed anecdotal notes of students' social emotional behaviors as evidence of change over time, but only if necessary, to think about whether this warrants going to a school nurse, a psychologist, um, or even a health professional. I think that is outside the purview of an average teacher. I know as a classroom teacher, I never had a course um, related to social emotional learning. It really has percolated up in the last couple of years and been exacerbated by the, the, the multiple crises that have been occurring concurrently. Um, I think teachers also should encourage students to maintain personal journals. It could be handwritten, it could be digital, um, of their feelings, of their reactions to any incidents of school. Um, and so when, what can, be measured in terms of social emotional development. Again, it's looking at the more positive side of that. And one of the outcomes that we are seeking as educators is to have multilingual learners and all students develop agency for their learning. Mm -hmm. And we can measure that maybe through a checklist. Um, for example, we can ask students whether their languages and cultures are being valued in school. We can ask if they're encouraged to pursue learning in languages other than English. So in that way, teachers can accentuate the strengths of the students, or if they aren't agents of their learning, how you can push them um, in that direction. So the multi, our multilingual learners can become empowered. And that's our ultimate goal, I would hope. Well, that's it for part one. We'll be back with part two of our conversation with Margot Gottlieb on our next episode of Highest Aspirations. On that episode, we'll discuss strategies for gathering student input to increase agency, supporting content teachers who may not have experience working with multilingual learners, 
rethinking multilingual education post-pandemic, and much more. You can get that episode by subscribing to Highest Aspirations wherever you listen to podcasts or, as always, by visiting elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.